Grab your popcorn and snacks. Find a comfy spot, take a seat or lie down, and let me transport you to a place of fantasy, ghost stories, ancient legends, odd creatures, alien encounters, and other magical topics. You may even decide to join the conversation. From faraway lands to your own backyard, with a small dash of pixie dust, turn out the lights and open your minds. The journey is about to begin. Hey, welcome. It's a kind of rainy Wednesday here in Sacramento, and I want to welcome everybody to the show. we got a great show lined up for you tonight. First off, I want to – I have sad news as far as my team goes, my paranormal team. I've had my paranormal team since, oh, about 20 years ago, and um, people come and go on this team on a regular basis because that's just what it is, but there's always a handful of people that stick around, and um, I've had a real good core. One of my core passed away today of uh, cancer. And I just found out about five minutes before showtime that she passed away. And uh, everyone on this team is hurting right now, but uh, we hope she has a safe passage to the other side. And uh, miss you terribly. And I know she's still around. I mean, that's why I do ghost hunting. So she's probably hanging around right now because she's never seen me do the show before. So she's probably in here with me for all I know. But Trina, I hope you have a, a safe passage. Anyhow, back to business. As they say, the show must go on. So welcome everybody. This is our Wednesday show, and uh, we got a great guest for you. I know I'm I'm really interested in crystals and, and crystal healing and stuff like that. I, I carry a medicine bag when I'm out in the field doing uh, ghost ghost investigations, and uh, I'm eager to see what this gentleman has to say. His name is Nicholas Pearson, and he'll be with us for the next hour or so. My name is Charlotte. I will be your host for the next hour or so. I am the owner of the California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team at www.californiahaunts.org. And you can visit our radio show at www.californiahauntsradio.com. Boy, there's a mouthful between the two, right? Um, welcome. And uh, my team is 45 strong up and down the state of California. We're in Oregon, Washington, Nevada, and Hawaii. We have members. So I'm real proud of that. Anyway, without further ado, let's get our guests going here and get our show started. Hello, sir. Hello, hello. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited to have you. Thank you. I think we're going to have a great talk tonight. All right. So tell me a little bit about yourself, sir. So I started with rocks really young. I've been a, a lover of all things geological since I was a little kid. I was that that kid who picked up rocks everywhere I went, you know, exotic places like the seashore, trips to the mountain on a family vacation the parking lot outside the grocery store, just anywhere at all. If, if a rock spoke to me, I had to have it. And at the ripe old age of eight, my grandfather gave me my very first specimen of quartz, this one, which is still nearby today. And suddenly this like inert part of the landscape was transformed into something so much more magical and mysterious. I mean, as a, as a small person, how can you not look at a crystal and go, oh my gosh, this is pure magic. And I, it's just been a profound love ever since. I've been teaching workshops on crystals for almost 18 years now. It'll be 18 years this coming spring. I have a background in mineral science. I got to work in the science field for um, Earth Science Museum at my university while pursuing a degree in music. And uh, I published my first book about five years ago now. It'll be five years uh, next month. And it's been a wild ride ever since. Fascinating. And... Um... Your first book, of course, was, was on crystals. I saw that. I read, I read a little bit of it. 
What do you find so fascinating about you know the about crystals? Um, the mineral kingdom is, I mean, it's it's the beginning of all things, isn't it? It's the start of of all that is. So you know, if we take a look at the world around us, even here I am sitting in my office. It, if you were to subtract the the minerals and rocks from my collection from this room, I would still be surrounded by things that are derived from the geosphere, from the part of the earth where rocks and minerals are born, the mm -hmm. petroleum products that are used to make the carpet, the potassium rich feldspars used to make the glass in my window, the um, ore minerals that have been refined to produce copper wiring to deliver electricity, the rare earth elements in all of my devices, the gypsum in the drywall. I mean, there's there's rock and crystal and gem and stone all around us, sometimes just kind of, we'll say transubstantiated, so we don't recognize it. But there's something so solid and reassuring. There's something um, really magical about a, a piece of the landscape that can endure so much longer than us. And I think this is the gist of it. This is why humankind has been so enchanted by rock and stone since the very beginning of time. So what kind of things can, can those types of rocks do for us? I know, there, I know, like, like I said, I carry a um, medicine bag where I have, you know, two or three different types of stones in there, but a lot of, a lot of people aren't aware of what, you know, what, what these, these crystals can do for you. I mean, for starters, we've got to kind of like take a look at what makes a crystal a crystal. Okay. I mean, crystals have this really coherent, regular, rigid, repeating, symmetrical structure. And uh, we, we know from the world of physics that the, the more regular a substance is, the more regular its energy field is going to be, the more predictable, the more uh, assured, the more coherent or harmonious that energy is going to be. And as a living being, I'm anything but coherent on an electromagnetic scale. My mm -hmm. energy field is in a constant state of flux, and it has to be, or I wouldn't be alive. But, you know, my, my liver produces a different kind of energy than my heart, than my fingernails, than my eyelids do, because they've all got different functions and different makeups, and they've got their own rhyme and rhythm to them. Whereas any piece of quartz you pick up from anywhere in the world is going to have the same kind of fundamental geometry the same chemical composition, the same formative processes and structures are going to be present. And that, that kind of regularity, that kind of coherence that takes place physically and electromagnetically, when we bring it into our own electromagnetic field, begins to teach us to be a little bit more regular ourselves. It entrains us. It kind of helps us sync up with that. And you know, modern modern studies, modern science, modern medicine is telling us that the more coherent the electromagnetic field, particularly if we look at like heart and brain coherence, then generally speaking, the higher our sense of well-being. I, I don't know if science can go so far as to say one causes the other outright, but they do acknowledge there's a really intimate relationship there. So imagine I take this quartz crystal, which uh -huh. is highly ordered, regular, coherent, and I bring it into my own energy field, which learns how to be more coherent. We know that that will shift mood and perception. Mm -hmm. When we change those things, it, it affects our neurotransmitters, the, the chemical and electrical signals that cascade through the body. And we start to experience a state of, of, of peace or wellness, or maybe we'll just call it positive mental affect if we want to say what, what modern science and modern medicine uses to kind of qualify those things. Um, but at the end of the day, there is something even above and beyond that maybe we can't measure with the electromagnetic scale just yet. I think one day we'll get there. There's something really magical taking place that we might not be able to graph or quantify, but the spirit of that stone, the energy, the consciousness, the spark 
of divinity within it is is speaking to me on the same level where my own innate divinity, my own innate um, spiritual consciousness lies. And whatever partnership happens is where the magic comes from. Is that like when somebody talks about their, their polarity being kind of knocked out of sync in their body? It could be. Um, you know, okay. I think I think people use science-sounding terms in very subjective ways in the metaphysical mm -hmm. field um, because there's not really a, a good lexicon, a good language to describe a lot of the the woo-woo experiences that we've got. So right. we 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 pick the the symbol set that works well for us. Is that why a lot of people are into buying um, those Himalayan salt rocks now for their houses? Uh, definitely one of the things. I mean, salt has been esteemed as a protective and purifying agent for a very long time because of salt's hygroscopic nature. It like sucks water out of stuff, moisture out of things. We use it as mm -hmm. a preservative in food and plenty of other things. And, you know, ancient humans would notice that, oh, we could we could cure meat or other things and it would last long. So by preserving this physical substance, maybe there's some sort of energetic preservation that goes on. So that's kind of the start of, of a you know, humankind's adoration of all things salt. Um, but the the Himalayan salt lamps can really uplift the energy in our space. There's some debate over whether or not they actually emit negatively charged ions. Um, mm -hmm. I think the the science is still kind of fuzzy on that. Um, but they they do leave this warm, inviting energy to a space. What do you think is one of the most healing um, crystals? Any and all of them. I mean, every okay. everything that comes from the earth has its own medicine, but it boils down to what is the pattern we are looking to change. So, you know, a really kind of oversimplified example, someone comes to me and says, hey, I, I, I really need a crystal for my throat chakra. What's the best crystal for my throat chakra? And I go, okay, mm -hmm. well, what what is the issue that we're having? Well, I want to communicate better. Okay, well, what's holding you back? Why aren't you communicating? And then it starts this game where you have to engage in self-reflection. Now, by virtue of their crystal structures, any any mineral, any rock or gem is, is going to help us with things like reflection, help us kind of reveal the, the hidden, unseen world. But when we look at how the individual personalities of different rocks and stones kind of come together, some are better suited to certain areas of our lives than others. So, you know, that person who who wants the throat chakra stone might might get around to thinking, and it's not really a communication at all. And maybe it's really got something to do with self-confidence. Maybe it's got something to do with, you know, a pattern they learned early on about fearing speaking in public. So we might not go straight to the throat chakra. We might go straight to that stone that represents healing at whatever the root cause is going to be. So I don't think there's a universal, everyone benefits from the same crystal. I mean, we all okay. can derive benefit, but it's like taking sure. a multivitamin. When sure. we, when we... Uh, specify exactly what we need according to the diet of our emotions, our lifestyle, the, the energies we partake in, then we're going to find the specific nutrition, the specific medicine in the form of the, the right rock or mineral that's going to support what we need on an individual level. That being said, something is better than nothing. Use the tools that mm -hmm. you've got. Um, it doesn't even have to be a fancy, expensive, precious gemstone. The rocks in your backyard are composed of mm, probably microscopic, maybe macroscopic crystals, and mm -hmm. they're going to have some sort of magic to them too. That's interesting to me, you know, because like I said, I use them primarily for protection, you know, as far as my, my ghost hunting goes. You know, I'm one of those people who go through and say, okay, you know, this is for, you know, this is for inner protection, outer protection, you know, because there are uses, you know what I mean? So I've never really looked upon them as healing stones or anything like that. 
Yeah. And I mean, even their protective qualities kind of boil down to the same kind of fundamental mechanism. Um, an energy field with a high amplitude, like a loud volume, can't really be overpowered by things of lower amplitude or lower volume. So the more coherent a signal is, the farther that signal can be detected. In other words, the, the higher the amplitude of it. So by increasing our, our, our amplitude, increasing the volume of our energy field, then those things that go bump in the night or you know, whatever else might be the, the cause of our um, need for protection, it has less of an influence over us. And then, you know, if we look at ancient lore, just about every, mm -hmm. every gem, every rock, every crystal was used for protection at some point, because I would say that most cultures at some point valued these, these items as being somehow sacred or divine. And if I can hold a piece of something sacred, then that something sacred can, can be my, my antidote against the profane, against the dangers of the world. And how did you learn about all this? I started out real young, just kind of getting my hands on anything I could. Um, I have a strong science background. My dad was a science guy and we used to go to um, the library on weekends when other families were going to church. So, I mean, one week it might be something like, um, you know, geology for kids, of course. And the next week it might be like folklore, or fairy tales or mythology. And I started to notice a lot of correlations between science and world religion and world mythology and noticed that it was just too we'll say symbol sets describing the same phenomena in the world around me. So I've always been really interested in the intersection between spirituality and science. Um, but my high school years, especially my, my rock collection grew and grew and grew. And I found in the literature on crystal healing, a very unique kind of intersection between my love for science and spirituality. And a lot of crystal healing books get the science radically wrong and that's okay. Um, I, I took a lot away from them, but um, when I went away to college to study music, I, I was, allegedly by, by random assignment, uh, given a chance to work in the Earth Science Museum, which is home to one of the largest um, mineral collections in the Southeastern United States. And within a couple of weeks, they gave me virtually unrestricted access. I, I was preparator and docent and did a lot of um, a lot of fun things behind the scenes. And uh, as long as what I did in those four walls was rooted in science, they didn't mind what I did with minerals outside of it, even going so far as to let me borrow things to take home and sit with and meditate. Um, and from there, it's been a lot of um, just constant learning and experimentation and exploration. I've you know working with students and clients for half my life now. So I've seen a lot of, we'll say, hands-on results in the field. Uh, mm -hmm. And I'm a, I'm a big why kind of guy. It's, it's not good enough to read in a book that Rose Quartz is for love. I want to know why. Okay, it's pink. That doesn't seem satisfying. Let's go deeper. What what can we reveal as we kind of peel the layers of the onion back? And so I find that a lot of crystal healing literature focus on like superficial things, the end results. What is what is the bottom line someone got out of this? And it it ignores the deeper underlying mechanism that's at play. So if we if we don't look at the rest of the equation, then we apply the same stone to a, a different person's baggage or energy or life circumstances, and then we don't get the same result because the superficial stuff is all different in, in the situations. And I've always been really fascinated by what's happening under the surface, because if we can find out what the mechanism is, if I can find out what makes rose quartz unique or carnelian or citrine or any other stone, then I can anticipate what the end result will be if I apply the same mechanism to a different set of circumstances. And so that's really kind of the, the deeper work I feel called to do with stones. Can they heal depression and panic attacks? 
So, I mean, I'm certainly not a doctor and I can't make medical claims right. about this, but I can give an example from my own life. So sure. at the age of 18, I was diagnosed with a generalized anxiety disorder. Um, I've got some other things going on with my mental health and um, gem therapy has been a big part of my wellness regime. And there are times when, you know, I, I could certainly do with more than just a rock in my pocket. Mm -hmm. um, but what we get out of our relationship with crystals is proportional to what we put into it. So whatever our circumstances, whether that's anxiety or whether that's just a string of bad luck or you woke up on the wrong side of the bed, if you mindlessly take a stone, tuck it into your pocket, wear it as a bracelet, um, go about your life and never pay any attention to it, you're not getting a lot out of that. It's like having a gym membership and you kind of like walk around the gym, but you never actually pick up the weights. So we have to enter into conscious, conscientious, intentional relationship with our crystals to really experience healing on any level. And that means meditating with them. It means getting to know their energy. It means getting to know your energy because you've got to know where you begin and the crystal ends and vice versa. So um, there are a lot of different ways we can work with stones. There's not one right way. There's not one technique that supersedes all the others. Um, but I think it's helpful to remember that we, we have to show up and do the work. It's not going to fix things on its own. I was going to ask you, what happened? What are the steps when, when somebody want you know requests a healing of you with the stones? What do you do? I mean, these days, my focus is really things on like education. I want to work with you to help you find a practice that you're going to engage with on a daily basis, so that way you get something out of it. Um, in a in a maybe post pandemic world, when I am doing like live sessions with people, mm -hmm. um, you know, it starts with getting to know what's going on. Um, as, as grounded as I, I am in, you know, all things scientific, I also want to be grounded in my approach with human beings and, and address them as whole people first and foremost. So, you know, kind of paint a picture of what's going on and maybe strategize and talk, um, you know, what stones are you drawn to? What have you been working with? What, what is or isn't working with you so far? Okay. Well, I have some ideas on these stones over here. And then if we're going to do like a big laying on of stones, kind of like a crystal layout or crystal grid on or around the body, I'll, I'll have them lie down in a comfortable position and, and get to, to do that work. And although I've done all of that um, getting to know you part first, I'm still going to hold space for intuition to speak through. Sometimes the voice of stone is, is the most reasonable voice in the room, and I will acknowledge that. So I can, I can go through all the things that feel, we'll say a little prescriptive, but I want to enable the mystery to be the mystery. And so if, if we're you know, there to work on your throat chakra, and it is malachite screaming to be on your solar plexus that feels like the missing link. That's what we're going to do because mm -hmm. I, I recognize that I'm, I'm just the conduit. I'm just the hands and the feet for the rocks to get mm -hmm. to where they need to be. Um, but as wonderful as that one session is going to be, it's, it's like going to the gym one time. Mm -hmm. So if I can have people learn to do something on their own so they don't have to hire a personal trainer me every time uh, for this analogy and that's what i want to do i, I want to show you little things little meditative techniques little ways that you can set your intention to really have a sense of agency in your everyday life but also to to bring you back to like what is the task at hand so we don't wander too far off so we can't get back to it later um how do you figure out what rocks are going to be used for you know, or what rocks and crystals are, are to be used for, for what task when you're doing this? So at this point in, in my practice, that looks a lot like 
getting to know my old friends. You know, you've, you've got a circle of people in your community and because you've known them so well, you know who's good for what. And, and maybe it's not necessarily what their formal background is in. You know, I, I, I went to school for music by trade and I do very little with that. But there are other tools in my toolbox that I'm happy to pull out for people because I know and love them. Same is gonna be true for your rocks. Um, you know, I work with rhodonite quite a lot for things um, that are outside of rhodonite's everyday wheelhouse. Um, so getting to know crystals on a personal level is definitely important. Um, a good a good guidebook is going to be a helpful guide. And as far as like how do humans, generally speaking, know what crystals do overall, that's that's an even deeper question. I mean, we have to look to things like tradition. We have to see how people have been working with stones for millennia. You know, if we take a look at something like Carnelian, member of the yeah. Agate or Chalcedony family, um, there's a lot of lore about Carnelian that stretches back several thousand years. So you know, we have clues in all of that that might point to some bigger, deeper um, mechanism taking place under the surface. And then I also like to look at things like, what is it made out of? What are its ingredients? How is it formed? What is the crystal structure? What are their physical, optical, and chemical properties? Because even all of those have clues as to what's happening. So before ancient people knew what the chemical composition of carnelian was, um, they attributed it to the planet Mars, to the sign of Aries. They considered it to be hot and fiery. And we know about the stone today that it gets its color from mm -hmm. trace amounts of iron oxide. And iron in since very ancient times is a, a metal attributed to the planet Mars. So there's this Martian energy in its makeup. So um, there is this kind of sense of as above, so below. And I like to kind of bridge the, the old way with the new way and, and use science as that sort of mediating factor there. And there, there can be a whole lot of clues. And for anyone who's like really interested in trying to figure out what a crystal does to decode its makeup, it's composition and structure and all of that. Um, there's a really detailed synopsis of that in chapter two of Crystal Basics, which is my most recent book. It came out okay. last year. Cool, 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 cool. And um, what types of people come to you? I mean, I'm not trying to say, is it somebody that's depressed or, or you know, or is it just, you know, business people or what, what types of clients do you get? I work with everybody. Like I mentioned earlier, I focus a lot on education these days. So, you know, teaching seminars, occasionally I have time in my schedule for some one-on-one -on -one coaching. And in my day job, I also manage a, a spiritual metaphysical occult bookstore. So, I mean, I see a hundred people a day there and that kind of interaction is obviously a different experience in one-on-one -on -one or classroom setting. But, um, you know, everybody, I, I get people who are brand new to crystals who um, saw them on TikTok or Pinterest or, you know, Instagram and want to know more. And then I get people who've been working with crystals for a long time and I have reached a plateau or want to want to have a, a fresh take on things. And as far as like what their lifestyles look like, it can be anything from like physical wellness to um, mental affect and psychological well-being to, you know, doing the deeper spiritual work, which is where my great love is. Like, how can we use these as catalysts for internal alchemy? And I think if that's the work we're doing, everything else changes. Um, as, as one of my teachers uh, said that you, you can't touch the body without also touching the soul and vice versa. Mm -hmm. So if someone's coming to me for distress in one area of their life, if, if we work on that, it's a complex web. Everything is interrelated. So we, we, we shift everything if we do the work well enough. Now I've seen crystals that, are suppo that supposedly work for your kidneys. You know, a, in some yeah. of these shops, you know, and mm -hmm. I'm just wondering if, if, if that is, if that's, if, well, I mean, obviously it's not for doc, it's a doc, doctor thing, but does it help? You think it helps? Um, I think that we have not 
we don't currently have a lot of rich, robust clinical data. So mm -hmm. I don't want to make any claims that sound too medical there. But I can right. tell you from the annals of history, from tradition, something like jade. Jade actually gets its name from its relationship to the kidneys. Um, and this is true in in very, very different parts of the world. So, you know, to ancient China, what we call nephrite jade um, was a stone that was associated with the kidney meridian. And then the kidney meridian and the kidneys themselves are associated with Jing or like our vital essence, our life force, our, our, our lifespan. Um, and so apart from the, the physical organ of the kidney, the sort of metaphoric nature of it, they associate mm -hmm. with jade. And then the other part of the world um, in like Central and South America, when the uh, conquistadors from Spain came into this part of the world, they saw that the natives would actually tie jade to the, their backs above their kidneys to alleviate pain there. And so they called it uh, the stone of the plank, uh, stone of the flank or uh, piedra de lijada in Spanish, which eventually became uh, pierre lejade in French, which became jade in English. So uh, even that comes from flank or where our kidneys are. And in, and in Greek, you know, nephrite comes from lapis nephriticus or stone of the kidneys um, in, in Greek. So both varieties of jade, jadeite and nephrite are both named for their affinity with that. In, in modern gem therapy, in traditional Chinese medicine, in, in lots of ways, we see that this is a stone that's associated with that. So um, ha is this something that's got a lot of clinical data behind it? No, but I love to see someone try to do something with that for sure. Um, there's there's a, a lot of issues with designing an experiment like that. Um, and what what little bit of experimental data is out there, I think is promising, but um, you know, it's it's really just sitting down and having that experience. And, and science will tell us that uh, whether we call it the placebo effect or whether it's the electromagnetics of the crystal mm -hmm. or something else that we can't measure, um, when we engage in spiritual practice, we we tend to have a greater sense of well-being. For many people, that also translates to physical well-being. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I think there's definitely potential there. Can you give me examples without mentioning names of people that, that, that you've worked with that have shown a real nice improvement after working with these things? Yeah, so um, I would say last, last several years, I've done a lot of work on the more emotional level rather than the, the physical, just because that's, that seems to be what, what is attracted to me and you know, it's, it's mm -hmm. what I've done myself. Um, a really great example of something that is a little bit more physiological oriented is uh, broken bones after an accident, like speeding up the healing of a, um, a hairline fracture of the tibial spine faster than medical personnel thought should have been possible. And you know, one of the primary tools for that was um, sodalite, especially this sort of jemmy indigo colored uh, transparent sodalite has a special affinity with the skeletal system that and a handful of other things are really um, helpful there um, with anxiety and panic disorders. I do uh, a lot of work with that, with things like um, rhodonite and lapidolite and citrine. Citrine's a stone I've been doing a lot of much deeper work. It's so, so common, but most of the citrine you see on the market isn't really citrine. So um, okay. I, I have become so enamored with the good stuff and, and getting the opportunity to help people work with that. And, you know, to see them weeks or months after learning these tools, learning these, these techniques, mm -hmm. and to see them so much more at ease, to see them, you know, with shoulders relaxed and breathing regularly and, and so much stress, you go, hey, how's, how's school going? Or how's job treating? Oh, it's great. Um, so, you know, these are, these are ways that crystals 
have helped people that I, I've, I've witnessed grow and change before me. And of course, it's the tip of the iceberg in, in almost 20 years of, of working with the public. I've seen a handful of really weird and miraculous things. Yeah, I'm getting back to your book. Uh, for somebody that's just starting out, you know, and wants to get get into this, is your book easy for beginners to understand? So I wrote my, my most recent book, Crystal Basics, for all right. skill levels um, in mind. I really wanted it to be like a complete guide. So whether uh -huh. you are brand new or an old pro, everything you need is going to be within those those pages. So it starts out with an overview of like what is crystal energy? What is energy specifically, but you know, broadly, what what is crystal energy specifically? And how do we know what energy a crystal has? How do I figure that out on my own? What do I need to know about my own energy field um, to kind of start the whole process? And it gives you practical things like how to buy crystals, what to look for when you're getting them, how to store them, how to physically clean them, how to metaphysically clean mm -hmm. them and program them and charge them and do all that fun stuff and then it's got tons of hands-on techniques like um, making grids and crystal elixirs and layouts and meditations and other other great things and a directory of 200 of uh, my favorite healing stones is also present in the book does it matter if people polish them you know you like use a rock polisher at all on does it take away from their uh strength does it take away from our strength to have our um, nails trimmed or our, our hair cut? Um, it <laughs> really point. doesn't. Um, you know, the, I think the important thing to remember is that what is responsible for the energy of any rock or mineral is its crystal mm -hmm. structure, its chemical composition, and its formation process, and to a lesser extent, other things like hardness, how it interacts with light, even color. Um, but those three big things are the primary drivers of its energy. So no amount of cutting, scraping, polishing, faceting, grinding the surface, changes this internal arrangement of atoms, ions, and molecules that come together to produce the crystal lattice. So what, what shape can do is it can affect the way energy is distributed. Something that is perfectly round, like a sphere, kind of radiates energy softly in all directions. Something with a point on it is, is a lot more focused and directional. Um, other shapes might also produce slightly different effects, but it's the same fundamental energy if everything else is the same. You know, if you, you have two optically pure, flawless, transparent pieces of quartz crystal, and one is polished into a tower and one is polished into a sphere, it's like listening to the same piece of music through two different sets of speakers. You might notice things differently. Well, there's a little variation, but it's still the same song. And that's what cutting or polishing our crystals is like. And in some cases, um, cutting or polishing can reveal things we wouldn't have been able to see otherwise and might actually enhance the beauty of it, enhance our, our connection to the stone as a result. Does it matter what size crystal you have? Yes and no. So, you know, the internet loves to tell you that it doesn't matter what size it is okay. because, um, you know, we, we only might have certain things in access. But, you know, the, the truth is that if we look at the physics of crystal energy, the, the bigger a, a rock or mineral is, the higher its amplitude. That's like how loud it's going to be. Now, louder is not better. Louder is just louder. So if you want to have a piece on your person, you might have a, a small one set in a pendant or in your pocket. Um, and that's like being able to engage in conversation with someone who's right behind, beside you in a whisper. But if you need someone down the street to hear you, you got to shout. So there might be applications where you want to do bigger scale stuff. You might need more rock for that. Okay. Okay. And again, let's go back. Can you tell me um, some of the different rocks and what they can be used for? 
Oh, I mean, this is a fun game that we could do all day. So, you know, I mentioned the example, first example I use is rose quartz. You know, uh -huh. so, so many times we want to reduce rose quartz to being the love stone. Um, but what if I told you that like the deeper message, the deeper mechanism at play with working with rose quartz has very little to do with love at all. The, the primary effect of bringing good quality rose quartz into the energy field is to bring a sense of emotional fluency. So those stagnant emotional psychological patterns that we've got that are just kind of stuck and encrusted and stubborn, rose quartz allows them to return to a state of movement. Now we might be able to express ourselves better as a result. We might be able to purge stale things so they're not taking up space in our emotional makeup. And what happens when we do that? We, we make room and the universe can pour things back into us. So we experience that as an influx of divine or unconditional love coming in. But the rose quartz didn't bring the love. The rose quartz helped you make the space for that love to be there. The love was already there. You just, mm -hmm. you were a full vessel. Um, you know, another really good stone that I think is um, underrated, although ever popular, is citrine, as I mentioned before. So citrine is a variety of quartz. It's usually kind of golden to yellow in color, but can, can range in color quite a fair amount in natural specimens. And we like to reduce it as a stone for abundance or wealth or prosperity, or maybe even we'll just say kind of success as a whole. But the, the first thing that citrine does when we bring it into our energy field is it starts to um, work on unwinding the tension that holds old patterns in place. So that might be physical tension, it might be psychological tension, it might be spiritual tension, and it strengthens the ability to let go at the same time. So we might say that it um, vitalizes or nourishes all processes of elimination. So oh. you know, physically, I've, I've worked with citrine for you know conditions that are associated with like um, eliminatory organs, um, lungs, liver, kidneys, large intestine, skin. I mean, we've got a lot of different parts of the eliminatory system, but it's also our ability to eliminate the stuff we hold on to in other senses. Like, are you having trouble letting go of that thing that Cheryl said in the office last Wednesday? How dare she? Like, if you're playing that over and over your head, mm -hmm. guess what? We got we to gotta eliminate, we got to let go. Um, are you a little bit of a pack rat? Do you, do you hold on to clutter? Well, maybe citrine can help you learn to unwind the tension that holds the clutter in place and lets you release it. So as we do that, as we kind of um, smooth things out, one of the gifts that citrine gives us is it, it makes it easier to step forward, to move toward your highest potential because you're unencumbered, unburdened by whatever stuff you've been holding on to. So the end result, which is different than the primary mechanism, is that citrine helps you fulfill your highest potential. Now, in an idealized setting, fulfilling your potential, of course, includes a, a financial well-being, but it's also going to include social well-being, emotional well-being, physical well-being, spiritual well-being. And mm -hmm. so if we, if we narrow down citrine's um, effects to just one component of our lives, we've limited all the other things it can also do for us. And that's the difference between like prescriptive crystal work, like I, I'm carrying this specific stone to achieve this particular goal and nothing else, and learning to view them as complex beings, just like we are. If I asked you to define yourself in a single word or phrase that described your entire life's journey and everything you hope to accomplish in the future, you're gonna have to leave stuff out. So when we get really reductive with what crystals do, there's a challenge there. Um, you know, Crystal Basics, I, I endeavored in most cases to describe crystals in the directory in 200 words or less. There are definitely some exceptions. And in my very first book, I did the opposite. I wrote about seven stones and it's like 120,000 words about seven stones. Wow. So 
um, I, I, I go on some journeys to things that are related to, and I, I, I get to spotlight a few others, but you know, the bulk of it is about just, just seven things. Imagine 14 pages written about Emerald. It's a lot deeper than 200 words or less. Right. So we have to remember that anytime we're, we're reading a kind of memeified version of what a crystal does, it is the tiniest fraction of its life story. So we want to get to know crystals on an individual and personal level and we want our relationships with them to be open-ended because maybe they see something we don't maybe when we bring that rose quartz into our life to feel more loved and and be more loving if we are open to whatever other mystery or healing rose quartz is going to provide then maybe it'll bring well-being in other ways maybe it'll help us be a more sensitive communicator um, because we can express our own emotions and hold space for other people who are doing the same because that's a way that we have emotional fluency, emotional uh, fluidity, so nothing is stagnant. Maybe we'll work with citrine primarily because we want to raise at work, but we'll also notice that um, we have more time in our schedule because we don't have it full of unnecessary things. And, and having more time gives us space for a side hustle. And there's another way that we fulfill our potential, increase our revenue streams. I mean, the possibilities are endless. And so it's really about looking at the bigger picture and not getting hung up on the tiny little prescriptive keywords that we usually see associated with crystals. That's amazing. I never thought about that, you know, with crystals. Because like you say, when you go into a rock shop or you go into one of these mystic shops, they just have a little bit about, you know, what what the particular crystal is, is, is used for. I mean, you may, I mean, you may just expand out. Yeah. And, and, you know, like when you first meet someone, you start off with, hi, my name is Nicholas. It's nice mm -hmm. to meet you. So, hi, this is a piece of carnelian. We might mm -hmm. use this for um, creativity or, you know, staying hopeful and, and filled with enthusiasm, but there's more to it than that. So there's nothing wrong with, with uh, our, our, our vendors online or in person reducing things to a few words but we as the consumers just need to be mindful of the fact that even if we're drawn to a crystal and those keywords mean nothing to us it it doesn't mean we are limited to just those keywords conversely mm -hmm. if we read the little tag and it says that it is absolutely 100 percent the things we are looking for and we feel no resonance with that crystal at all maybe it's because of all the other things that it also does and maybe they don't overlap with your your life path or your your intentions well enough so start with what excites you start with the crystals that you really feel some sort of attraction to mm -hmm. and then from there see what the potential is with working with them um, you might find a, a particular stone that is great for things that you didn't think it could be because none of the book said so. And there could be a lot of factors, not least of all, your personal relationship. Sure. Okay, cool. That's just really interesting to me. I'll have to get your book and read, you know, get, read, read up on it in more detail. You know, the one yeah. I'm used to. Because like I said, you know, I'm used to going into these shops and just saying whatever the basic info is on them. And then I'm, I'm happy to pack them in my little medicine bag and then I, you know, away I go, go my merry way. So this gives me a whole new perspective on it. Well, excellent. I'm, I'm glad. You know, um, when somebody comes to you for, you know, for help or even, you know, even online, I mean, what do they usually say to you? You know, um, you know, I, I've got, you know, the depression going on or something else is going on, you know, or, or how do they approach you usually? Uh, I mean, it, it, all sorts of different ways. I would say my, my online presence, depending on, on what, what uh, platform it is, 
um, you know, Instagram is really tends to be people who want to go deeper with their practice. At least that's, sure. that's, that's the, we'll say flavor of experience people um, come to me for. If it's like TikTok, it's the complete opposite. It's like, Hey, how do I cleanse crystals? I'm like, I made like two dozen videos about that. You just got to scroll back on my timeline. Let me go tag you in one. Um, and then the, the face-to-face in the retail setting when, when I'm at my day job, you know, mm-hmm. someone could cross a threshold specifically because they have a list of things they've already read about in my mm-hmm. book or another one. Um, and they just want to cross everything off the list and, and get everything. And others are just like, so I feel like I need protection or my anxiety is really bad or um, I'm having trouble focusing. What, what, what crystals are good for that? Or what can we do about it? You know, I always try to guide people to a place where they feel empowered um, to make decisions. So, you know, the, the face-to-face in the retail setting, it's not, oh, you have to get this crystal. It's like, I'm going to take you on a tour. I'm going to show you three of my favorites for this. And you get to know them. And you spend a few moments and you decide if any of those is right for you. And great. Maybe you'll fall in love with one. We'll talk about it. Maybe you won't fall in love with any. I'll show you a few others. So I always want to make people feel like they're not stuck with whatever I tell them. Because um, even if I've written all the books and even if I've been doing this, you know, I've, I've been collecting for myself for almost 30 years now. I've been working with the general public for just shy of 20 years. So I've, I've got a fair amount of experience, but I don't know you as well as you know you. I know right. me pretty well. I know my rocks really well. Um, right. So if I tell you carnelian, you have to have carnelian right now. This is the only rock for you. And <laughs> it's just in your gut, the one that isn't. I want you to feel empowered to, to make the right decision for you. Um, and we also have to remember that when we're talking about spiritual experiences when we're talking mm-hmm. about um personal things everything is relative so um we we just kind of have to have that framework just because someone said online x was the best crystal for y condition doesn't mean that it's going to be the best one for you and uh, having the sensitivity having the um the ability to do self-inventory and go oh yeah totally this is where i'm at or this is not where i'm at um, mm-hmm. that is really meaningful and helpful Okay, cool. Um, people need to have multiple stones around them, or, or like you say, you, you know, like you just said, this one stone's the best for you. I mean, can it be one stone, or does it have to be, you know, multiple? Um, I mean, as a collector, um, or maybe a hoarder, as the case might be, uh, <laughs> I can never have too many crystals in my collection. the The truth is that I might have like tens of thousands um, in this house, but um, there are a handful that kind of are the staples of my everyday practice, things that I work with very regularly. And then mm-hmm. I, I go through the boxes or I, I set up for a class or, uh, you know, a session with someone and I'm, I'm digging through and I'm finding things that's like, oh gosh, I haven't worked with Eosphorite or Wavelite or um, Kenotite in so long. Let's, let's get to know them again. So I, I think it is helpful to have a handful of things you know really well. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe even just one or two that you know really, really well, and then have options. Uh, if if we want to engage with crystal healing in a wider format, if we're if we're doing things for others, with others, or on behalf of others, the bigger your toolbox, the the more situations you're going to be prepared for. Um, but you know the the truth is that a lot of fundamental human experiences are covered by by a handful of stones. You know because they're as complex complex and nuanced as we are there are so many options for, for what to turn to. Um, so start small. Don't feel like you got to buy one of everything. It's not possible anyway. 
what's the best stone for karmic healing? Uh, you know, I actually devoted a whole book to working with crystals for transforming our karma. Um, you know, short list of things that I think are are like my everyday karmic healing stones, uh, aquamarine, uh, diamond if you've got it, and if not, you know, skip on to the next one. Jade is often overlooked for its its karmic healing. Good old-fashioned clear quartz, which comes in a lot of variations that can be associated with karmic healing. Certain kind of configurations or crystal structures can be better suited than others. Um, I really love working with Priscelli Blue Stone as well. It's a stone that I wear virtually every day, and I've got a piece here on my, my desk. This comes from uh, the Priscelli Hills in Wales. It's what the inner ring of Stonehenge is made out of, and also dozens of other stone circles and other stone monuments throughout the British Isles. Um, it's a really deep ancestral and karmic healer. Um, you couldn't go wrong with obsidian. Uh, as well, but I think there's like maybe 55 or 65 different crystals for karmic healing in, in my book of the same title, Crystals for Karmic Healing. Um, that was my second book, came out in 2017. Okay, okay. Um, what do you, like you say, with somebody that's starting out in this, and they, they want to learn to do what, you know, what you do and what, what you've learned, how should they start out? So for starters, pick up a rock. Um, I think it is really, really helpful to do two things every time you get a new rock or mineral or, or specimen, we'll say. Um, learn what it is, scientifically speaking, like learn what it's made out of, how it's formed. Even if that doesn't have a lot of meaning to you yet, look at those terms, familiarize with them, and then spend time with that crystal. Go to... Um, a place that's got good lighting and few distractions, as, as few as possible. And and turn your crystal every which way in the light. Get to know how light moves through it. Feel the surfaces as long as they're not sharp or fragile so you don't injure yourself or the stone. Um, get a feel for it, the weight of it in your hand. Some are denser than others. Um, some crystals make sound, believe it or not. You can, you can kind of hear them ringing. Um, I wish I had an example closer to me because I've got several just out of frame. Um, but you know, if you tap them the right way, they almost sound like little chimes or bells. So use all your senses that you can. Please don't lick your crystals unless you're a geologist and you know what kind of risk is involved. Um, and, and really spend time ooing and aahing over the physical properties while you're doing that. While the conscious mind is really engaged something is happening with the subconscious mind. There's an energy exchange. You don't have to pay too much attention to that in the beginning, but you might start to notice, wow, every time I pick up smoky quartz, I feel this sense of calm and presence and anchoredness. I notice that every time I pick up amethyst, um, I, I get this kind of really intense buzzing in my head or, or whatever it's going to be for you. And notice what's the same. Notice what's uh -huh. different because some of those things you're experiencing have nothing to do with the crystal and everything to you. And the crystal's just reflecting or revealing it to you. Um, and so it's it's helpful to engage with this. And then over time, you can start to get kind of more, we'll say, pointed in what you're looking for and how you're engaging with the energy. But start with, like, who is this? Tell me, tell me who you are, where you come from, and all that fun stuff. And then as you get to know the ins and outs of what they look and feel, like, um, you might start to notice trends. Ah, Labradorite and Moonstone, they both have this flash to them, and those flashes appear in regular planes. And I notice that they both have similar compositions. They both belong to the same crystal group. Wow, there must be something that I'm seeing in one that is also present in the other. So even if we're not trained geologists, if we try to look with geologists' eyes, it makes us better consumers. Um, it's harder to pull the wool over your eyes if you know that an ordinary rock is not worth 
the price tag attached to it sometimes. Uh -huh. uh, it also means that you can make better informed decisions. Ah, this is common amethyst from Madagascar. Um, it's not a high-end kind of thing, so I don't need this high-end price. Um, and it, it also helps, you know, if, if we're buying from places that are not metaphysically inclined, if we come in talking about like, you know, crystal oversouls and karmic healing and, you know, the angels that dwell within our rocks, then your average like rock hounder is, is probably going to look at you funny. Um, but if we can go, hey, uh, what's the provenance on this? Do you know how recently it was mined? Um, or is this from such and such place? Or, um, you know, what is this inclusion here? Then we're going to have a totally different experience. And then we can do all the woo in our own time. There's nothing wrong with the woo. Um, in fact, I actively encourage it, obviously, being in this space. Um, but having a modicum of science helps us play nicely with others and also keeps us rooted. Um, so I find that and then just holding space for your crystals to be really, really important. How hard is it to find these crystals and rocks? De depends on which one we're talking about. You know, if okay. we're talking about flawless, precious emeralds or rubies or sapphires, they are some of the most valuable and, and um, coveted things all over. Um, you know, something like the Feldspar group as a whole makes up about 40% of the Earth's crust. So you pick up a rock, there's a, you know, 40% chance it contains some Feldspar. Um, so that's something that's really abundant and common. Where I live here in, in Florida, um, we have more calcite than anything else. Um, it's in the limestone underneath us. We have calcitized fossils. Occasionally you find beautiful calcite crystals um, in, in the karst topography. Uh, so how easy is it to find depends on where we live and, and also what rocks we're talking about. Um, so some are, are, are super rare. Some are very common. Some common things can be really extraordinary if we have the right specimen, like, you know, the smoky quartz I keep holding up on the interior is, is optically clear. It was mined in the 1940s as, as part of material that was actually um, stockpiled by the, the U.S. government as a, like, uh, an intelligence thing, um, mm -hmm. because crystal radio sets at the time still relied upon natural quartz. So the, the more pure your quartz was, the higher the quality, the farther the signal went, the clearer it was. So they would keep warehouses full of this stuff to keep it from falling into enemy hands uh, during World War II. Uh, so this is like a piece from that era that was mined at that time in Brazil. Um, so something like that with that kind of history attached to it and the the, the size and clarity makes it more unusual than your average piece of quartz. So even though it's just common, humble quartz, there's something special there. So, um, you know, rarity, um, availability, there, there are a lot of different factors that go into it. What's popular in the metaphysical market may not be what's popular and valuable in the non-metaphysical market too, when it comes to rocks. So um, that's another reason that it's helpful to know a little bit of science, um, because if we go to our non-metaphysical vendors, we might have access to things that are just not available to us in our average um, uh, you know, a, a cult bookstore. Oh, see, I was just thinking about that because I, you know, like these kids that go up to like to some of the gold mining towns, uh, you know, here in California, and they get the little um, gold pans. Mm -hmm. They allow them to gold mine, and when they go through that, and they're going and they're doing, you know, and they're doing the pan thing in the in, in the slough. They come up with little tiny pieces of jade and stuff, and that's why I was curious about how easy that stuff is to find. You know, how easy that is to get. I mean, California's geology um, is is well known for the jade that it has. But if you found a piece of jade on the beach here in Florida, it either traveled a very, very, very long way, okay. or somebody dropped it there. So okay. um, 
you know, all, all things are kind of relative. Certain, certain chemical elements and certain combinations of chemical elements mm -hmm. are, are more abundant through the Earth's crust than others. Mm -hmm. um, you know, something like beryl is not extraordinarily rare, but beryl that has chromium in it is very hard to get. Chromium is responsible for turning emeralds green, emerald being mm -hmm. a variety of, of beryl. Um, so the beryllium in beryl and the chromium um, that makes beryl green and transforms it into emerald don't occur in the same geological environment except for a handful of places on Mother Earth. Any any other variety of beryl, save for one, is, is far more common. So um, you know, it's, it's a complicated thing to say, how hard is something to find? There, there are things that are very easy to go and get. I mean, anyone who wants to visit Hot Springs, Arkansas can go dig for quartz, and I guarantee you will find quartz. Will it be spectacular museum quality? Maybe, maybe not, but you'll find quartz. If you want to, um, you know, comb the beaches in the Pacific Northwest, you will probably come across things like obsidian and agate and maybe even jade. Um, mm -hmm. uh, maybe bits of opal, too, if you're in the right place at the right time. Um, but I, I would be hard pressed to find any of those things here in Florida because my, my geology is different here. Sure. Is it medicinal for someone to go hang out in a cave? Um, I suppose it depends on the cave and the person. I, I certainly feel great after I've spent time in a cave, but, mm -hmm. um, you know, biological factors, notwithstanding, um, I, I can't imagine it being bad for your health. Um, there is something really ancient and mystical about caves and if we look at um, early lore attributed to them, you know, the cave is almost always associated with the divine feminine, with Mother Earth herself. It's like we're entering her womb, we're entering her sacred space. And um, yeah, I, I think people have been enchanted with caves for a very long time. And there's got to be some magic to that. Yeah, because there are some caves that have rare, you know, that have this, these crystals in them. That's why I would think it would be you know, medicinal to be in one. Yeah, and I mean, every every cave is made out of rock, and uh -huh. rocks themselves are composed of, of minute crystals. We might not be able to see it with the naked eye, but there is crystalline structure all around us when we enter into a space like that. How long did it take you to write your book? Um, you know, the, the least amount of time it's ever taken me to write a book has been about 27 days. The longest amount of time was just shy of two years. So every one has had its own lifespan. Crystal Basics was about a year and a half start to finish. Um, and then you know, editorial work and pre-publication work is a whole different timeline. But sitting down to actually write the book, a year, year and a half. Um, last year, um, shortly after the start of the pandemic, I sat down to write what will be my next book to come out. And mm -hmm. it is my longest book ever. And I wrote it in nine months. So um, no rhyme or reason for that. I worked more hours than ever before in spite of the pandemic um, in my day job and still managed to do that. So um, yeah, writing is something I do, I endeavor to do a little bit of every single day. And some days I do a heck of a lot of it. And so I've, I'm grateful that I'm already, I, I'm already under contract. I have about 20% of book number nine done and uh, books seven and eight will be out next year. But you sound really busy though, because you're running that metaphysical shop, right? And this then, you, true, yeah. do you, then you do your writing and then, then, then you have your work with, with the stones and stuff. So you're, you're a busy guy. I am. I, I have a, a lot of different hats that I wear. Uh, I work my day job. I don't, I don't work quite full-time hours at the moment because of my schedule. I do, you know, publicity and outreach events like this. I teach every single week, um, mostly online these days, although I have my first in-person event coming up um, in early November. I'm really excited about that. 
And then, um, yeah, writing, lots of writing. Okay, you call yourself a rock hoarder. How many rocks do you think you have at your house? I don't really know if I could quantify. I mean, some are so tiny. Um, yeah, I mean, if we were talking poundage, that might be a different story, but a lot of them are neatly tucked away into boxes. But uh, as far as varieties, like um, mineral species and varietals, gem varietals of, of species, uh, mm -hmm. several thousand. Um, and then, you know, something common like quartz, I have many, 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 many varieties of quartz. So um, I, I don't think I, it's possible to look at my whole collection all at once. There's, there's no space big enough I could lay it all out in front of me at the same time. It's got to be neatly tucked away and organized or I have a problem. There you go. There you go. What's next for you? So my next book is about uh, flower essences, which are like energetic tinctures that are made from the, the consciousness of plants. Um, flower essence therapy has been in use for um, maybe about 90 years or so, started in its modern sense with um, a British physician, um, Dr. Edward Bach, who created 38 Remedies and has really gone in lots of different directions since his passing. And my, my next book coming out is called Flower Essences from the Witch's Garden. And it looks at both the therapeutic and the more esoteric, spiritual and magical properties of flower essences. Awesome, awesome. Well, I thank you for coming on tonight. Oh, I wanted to ask you, where can people get your books? Anywhere books are sold, I hope. I mean, definitely online retailers, all the big ones you can order there. Please go visit your local bookstore or, or metaphysical store and ask them if, if they don't carry it, I'm sure they'd be happy to get it for you and order it. Um, whether that's my most recent book, Crystal Basics, or any of my others, you can do that. And then if you want to reach out to me personally with questions that are crystal related, you can find me on social media, usually as Voluminous Pearl. Um, my website is www.theluminouspearl, and then I'm at the Luminous Pearl in places like um, Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook. All right, Nicholas, thank you so much for coming on. I learned so much about crystals and stuff. My gosh, like I'll, I'll never walk into a store again and go, oh yeah, I'll take that, but I want more detail. This is your fault. So thank you so, <laughs> thank you so much for pleasure. being on the show, and I appreciate it. You have a good weekend, and uh, enjoy. Thank you. You as well. All right. Bye-bye. All right. That was a fun show. I learned a lot. And I hope you did too. Um, again, I started off the show on a sad note. We lost Trina Northcutt Priest um, this afternoon. Uh, Longtime member of our team. And uh, let me straighten out. I was kind of funky during that because uh, I love I love talking about stones and stuff, but my mind kept wandering back to Trina. And uh, yeah. Anyway, um, guys, next week's going to be kind of cool. It's Halloween week. And so Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, we're on our usual time, 6.30 p.m. And Monday, we're going to talk about ghosts in Northern California. Up in the, We'll be in this area talking about ghosts up in the gold country and stuff like that. And then Tuesday, our good, my good friend Jason Lindo is going to be on. Jason is from Hawaii, and he has put together a presentation to talk about Hawaiian uh, ghostly legends and stuff. So he's going to be talking about, say, uh, Pele and... and, um, and uh, the night marchers and stuff like that, you know, in Hawaii. Wednesday, our friend, our good friend, uh, Deborah Franker. Man, my mind's like a word right now because of Trina. Um, the lady that was on, Debbie that, that was on, that was talking, that uh, spoke of um, 
Ancient Serial Killers last month is going to be on with us on Wednesday. And uh, she is going to be talking about ancient ghosts on Wednesday. So we're going to have ancient ghost stories on Wednesday night. So it's going to be ghost, ghost, ghost all week next week. So you guys can hear about that. In the meantime, I will see you on Monday. Um, it's been great. And if you like the show, share it with five people. If you didn't like the show, share it with, other, with five of your enemies. I'd appreciate it. Um, also, we have an issue with YouTube. We have 87 subscribers, and we need 100 subscribers to get a de dedicated URL. Otherwise, nobody can find us on YouTube. You can try, you can search, you can do whatever you need to do to do it, but it's not going to happen. I've done it myself. Um, so the best way to do that is to go to our website at www.californiahauntsradio.com. Click on the video there, and that'll take you directly into our YouTube site. And you're able to subscribe from there to help us out so we can get that dedicated URL. Anyway, I will see you guys on Monday. And for those of you that are interested in the ghosts of Northern California, I am doing a presentation this weekend on Zoom at Saturday at 5 o'clock. Um, go ahead and PM me on Facebook if you're interested in going. It's $20 a person. And you're going to get to learn all about you know the, the, the haunted places that you can actually visit. Not, not so much ghost hunt, but places that, you know, you, you, I mean, you can ghost hunt too, but if you're just like the casual ghost hunter, you can go in and visit these places. So it's going to be kind of cool. Different pizza parlors and, and, and stuff like that that people go to. And uh, that's going to, that's and we're also going to have evidence to show with that. So you guys will get to see some of the evidence we got in those places. Anyway, I will see you. And uh, again, I'm going to go ahead and run the, uh, let me get back in here. Okay. I'm a little off today. I'm gonna to go. I'm gonna go ahead and run this gentleman's books and the website where you can get his books. So there is his website, the Luminous Sphere dot the Luminous Pearl. I'm here, honest. dot com, and Crystal Basics, Crystal's Karmic Healing. You got Flower Essences from the Witch's Garden. The Art of Reiki. You got another Reiki Ryoho. And architectural, architectural, God, I can't even say that, stones. Crystal Healing Heart and Stones of the Goddess. And like he says, you can get those in bookstores, wherever you need to go. I have it listed as Amazon, but you don't have to go there. You can try Barnes & Noble or wherever, wherever it is you feel comfortable buying books. Anyway, again, I will see you on Monday. And, ah, yeah, it's been a long week. See you guys later.